welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and as always, we're thrilled that you've taken some time from your coronavirus quarantine to join us for an exciting discussion of the great outdoors where the germs are few and the enjoyment is much. And uh, we'll tell you what, when it comes to enjoying the outdoors, there's not a name that comes to my mind any sooner than Mossy Oak, which has been all about celebrating the outdoors for a long, long time now. And my guest today is a, is a good personal friend and a member of the Mossy Oak team is Jake Meyer. He's the public relations manager at Mossy Oak and a super avid uh, bow hunter. Jake, welcome to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio. Christian, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to be here with you and your audience. Thank you. Well, it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you, my friend, and I'm I'm glad that you've been washing your hands regularly as as I have, and uh, to to date, we're both feeling pretty fit here amidst this massive outbreak sweeping uh, across the globe. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? It's always strange times that we live in. You know, you never know what tomorrow brings. And, you know, things like this just make you kind of take a step back and realize what's really important and what's not so important. And, you know, one of the things that's important, you know, to those of us who are listening, you know, you and I is the outdoors. And, you know, just kind of a reminder, don't take don't take the opportunities we have every season, every chance we get to get outside and whether it's hunting or shooting or or, or just spending some time with your friends and your family out there. I mean, it's it's a blessing, and uh, there's no guarantee that you have you know another season in front of you. So suck up every chance you get to be out there. That's exactly right. Our our founder and CEO here at Mossy Oak. Everybody knows him. It's Toxie Hayes, and he has a quote that I've always loved, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher part of it, but the whole premise of it is he always says. Our sunsets in this lifetime are limited, and I'm going to make it a point to never miss one. And that really is our motto here at Mossy Oak. It's, it's um, everyone here eats, sleeps, and breathes the outdoors, and it all starts from the top and works its way on, da- on down through the entire organization. It, it's an incredible place. I'm sitting here in my office here in West Point, Mississippi, where our headquarters are. And it's so fascinating to me just to get to interact with these people. I've been here for almost three years now. And uh, just to be surrounded by these people and be immersed in in this company and the lifestyle that we get to live is an absolute blessing. But uh, I always get a kick out of that quote that he says because it is so true. Well, you guys definitely – you definitely live – live the life. You know, you don't just talk the talk. You guys all walk the walk. And, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, just an admirer of uh, a lot of your folks for a long time. I mean, cuz is just one of the best people in the business and, uh, you know, a pioneer and, and just the outdoor TV world and, and the, some of the filming, the hunts that you guys have captured over the years. I mean, probably just about everybody who listens to this episode has watched, you know, some of your folks doing some amazing things uh, over so many years. So uh, we all appreciate you. And and today I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to talk bow hunting with you. You know, the genesis of this show goes back to January and the archery trade show. And it's funny, you know, we, we um, get a chance usually to catch up a little bit every year at ATA. And, and this year we were talking about some, some things that we had done, you know, obviously swapping some hunting stories about last year and what we're going to line up. And you had mentioned uh, you know, hey, I'm looking for somebody to maybe come to Iowa this year, and, and I need to find somebody who's got enough points. And boy, my ears perked up right away because here I'm thinking, hey, man, I got enough points to draw Iowa this year. And you had found some really good hunting ground in Iowa last year. Um and uh, so I'm hoping to, you know, share a camp with you here this coming fall. But why don't you tell me a little bit about your 2019 whitetail season and how that all uh, worked out for you? Man, it was it was actually the highest of highs. And I wouldn't necessarily say the lowest of lows either. I mean, I 
Man, I shot my best buck ever in October. I was blessed and fortunate enough to hunt with Jeff and David Lindsay of the Lindsay Way. And uh, that's actually switching over to Outdoor Channel now from Sportsman Channel. They're doing great things with their show. But I got to spend time on their slice of heaven in Pike County, Illinois. And uh, Jeff gave me the golden ticket invite. And I rolled in there. And uh, I had a great sit the first evening. I actually could have shot a gorgeous eight-pointer. But on the first sit, we're, we're in late October. Actually, it was about October 23rd is when I got there. So um, it was a little bit before what I would, what, what a lot of hunters and, and even I commonly knew is that, that first peak um, seeking and chasing phase rolling into November. It was it was a key set of dates there in Pike County, Illinois, rolled in on October 23rd that Jeff said, man, this is the time. This is the week. If you can make it, this is when we will, we will be there. This is when we hunt this farm. It's phenomenal. So, man, I made it a point, made that trip the top priority. Got there on the first evening, and I let a gorgeous eight-pointer walk with uh, some good weather um, a few days in front of us. So I thought, I'm going to let this deer go and just see see what's in these Pike County uh, fields and timber. So that buck got, got the pass and, uh, shot a doe the next morning, uh, to help Jeff with, uh, his incredible deer density there. So shot a doe. And then that next evening I had the sit of my lifetime. I think it had to have been about every deer in that thicket was pouring out into, uh, a, a mossy oak biologic food plot there that I was sitting over the deer. It was the winter bulbs and sugar beets was the, uh, blend. And I just say that cause those deer were all over it. It was a nice little cold front blowing in and they were all over that food plot prior to going out. What was a, a destination standing cornfield and cut a long story somewhat short. Cause you can actually read this story. It's called, bow hunting the Lindsay way on mossyoak.com. I wrote the entire story out so you can go check it out there, but I had the best sit of my life and a gorgeous, gorgeous mainframe, super clean five by five or 10 pointer rolled out. And, uh, I had him at 44 yards finally when I thought, you know, we're, we're going to take this shot opportunity. So I uh, got my mind right, came to full draw, and that pin actually was sit, uh, just aiming steadier than any sight picture I think I've ever experienced for whatever reason. I think the good Lord above that I had uh, some sense of calmness in that in that aiming moment to uh, just let the pin be where it needed to be and focus on uh, executing a great shot, and that's exactly what I did. I aimed at the top of the heart. It was a 44-yard shot. I aimed at the top of the heart, thinking that if he ducked, I, sh- I should still catch some lungs. And uh, if he if he didn't duck, I'll ideally hit you know the heart or anywhere around it. So, man, I made a great shot, and uh, thank the Lord. And um, the buck didn't drop, and it it did. It, it sliced the top of his heart, and uh, and I think both lungs. But regardless, I, I watched him fall and. It was just an absolute trip of a lifetime for me to share camp with David and Jeff. You've never met better men um, in the world, I would argue, until you've met Jeff and David Lindsay. Just their character and who they are behind the camera is exactly who they are in front of the camera. And um, there's just not better, not not better men and not a better family in this industry than the Lindsay. That's for sure. So that was a great trip, and then. Uh, actually, so, so, like you said, so, I, so, so what did that, uh, I just got to interrupt you. Cause I want to know what that buck scored. He would Jeff Lindsay grossed him a uh, rough score at 156. And, uh, it's kind of funny cause that beat my, my best buck ever by three, eight, three eighths of an inch. So, <laughs> um, that was, that was a great, in my for my uh experience in my career and just as a hunter that was just an incredible deer and a, that's a memory that i will never forget for as long as i live oh that's awesome man congratulations that's a great deer i mean you're talking about a basically a 160 class deer and you know most people are going to go their whole lives and never see 
a deer like that from the stand, never mind get one on the ground. I think, you know, you and I and other people that are blessed enough to work in the outdoor industry, you know, we throw around numbers and like they're not that big of a deal. But I think the average bow hunter, you know, out here, like here in Pennsylvania where I live, I've never killed a 120-inch deer here in Pennsylvania, never mind 160, you know. And, yes, I've killed I've killed some really big deer other places, but next time I kill a 120 here in Pennsylvania, that'll be the first time. And let me tell you something, buddy. I will have a smile from ear to ear. That's exactly right, man. I mean, we, we do live in an age where you can measure success in hunting in a lot of different ways, and many hunters do, but... And I just always think if you just know what you're after going into a season and you put together a plan and you can execute any, any type of results that uh, are close to what you were after, consider yourself a successful hunter and don't compare yourself to others. Just focus on growing yourself as a hunter and as a human. And that's about all you can do is wake up better, better tomorrow than you were today is, is my goal. Yep. And so, uh, so you started out there, uh, with some great success in Illinois and, uh, you were starting to transition, I think, to something else when I so rudely interrupted you, my friend. <laughs> As I was saying, no. So I, I thought, man, hunting with the Lindsay, shooting that deer, this could be my best season ever. Cause I had the coveted Iowa tag in my pocket and that was my first uh, gear ever getting the Iowa tag. So I had a great spot lined up through a friend of mine was going to let me hunt his farm. And I'll make this super short. When I got there, um, the farmer was cutting some of the corn on the property and he actually found three bucks that all scored. He found several dead deer, but he found three bucks that scored all over 160. One was in the 190s, and those were three of the target deer we were after. So uh, that that really EHD, they all died from EHD. So EHD just completely devastated that specific farm and even that specific area of southern Iowa. So I kind of had to call an audible because I was hoping to take a good deer there. But, um, you know, we're trying to get this on film, and we just kind of thought we were hunting <laughs> ghosts you know literally deer that we think most of them are dead and the cameras just completely went quiet on mature deer so kind of had to call an audible and that's when i came across uh bbd outfitters um just short for big buck down outfitters they're in uh they're in southeast iowa they hunt zones five and six but it's a uh, corbin corbin millard and um Reed and then Corbin's brother. I can't even remember his name off the top of my head, which is terrible, but great guys. And, uh, went and hunted with them. And that was a late season hunt. And we saw several deer, but we just didn't get quite the cold weather that we needed there in a uh, very late December. It was between Christmas and new year's. Didn't quite get the cold weather we needed. So, uh, ended up seeing a gorgeous buck on the last evening, probably at I think it was probably close to a 150 inch eight pointer. And that was only with maybe one inch brow time. So you can imagine his frame and his time length and mass. He was gorgeous. So he comes out and, and he was what we were after and what we came to Iowa for, but he showed up for about probably a minute and never came within range. And then for no reason, just vanished from the field while the, all the other deer remained. So I went from killing that buck in I or Illinois with the Lindsay's to, uh, Iowa thinking, man, this could be just a dream season, which it absolutely was, but I didn't, didn't fill that Iowa tag. And, um, that, that one, uh, that one, it just kind of stung a little bit because my expectations were so high going into Iowa. So didn't kill there, but then I did shoot a pretty buck in Texas too, on a, on a, in a camp we have there, uh, with Mossy Oak. So that was a gorgeous eight pointer and shot him, and uh, that's what uh, finished out my season. So that was good stuff. But that buck with the Lindsay's was uh, just an experience that I'll never forget to share camp with him was amazing. Yeah, nobody's going to feel too sorry for you, Jake. So you killed. No. Nope. You, you killed. Nobody ever you know, does. 
your best buck ever and you killed another buck in uh texas and and you had you know a good experience in iowa a little bit of unfinished business but you know and, and we ought to address this because the very astute listeners among our audience and that's probably most of the listeners because again this is peterson's bow hunting radio jake um absolutely they're like the you're going back to Iowa again with Jake this year. How is that possible? He just hunted, so we'll have to fess up, right? And, and just tell people you you were able to get a governor's tag in in 2019, right? As uh, I guess part of the the TV show or something that you were filming with, and so you still have your points, and that's why we'll be able to cash in our points and hopefully go back this fall. And I'm going to help you get some revenge on these deer at BB. That's exactly right. Uh, Iowa DNR has several great programs there and they do work with uh, just media companies and uh, certain people with within really uh, the entire population that you can go to Iowa and you or you can go to their DNR and, and apply for a, uh, a media tag and that they work with people within our industry and companies within our industry to issue those tags. So they, uh, yeah, they did issue me that tag and we were there trying to film and cover some of the great programs because there is no better state in this country than Iowa uh, for, for mature whitetails and for the chance to shoot, you know, a record book buck. But even I would argue probably just, you know, a bigger buck than, than what most of us are used to hunting elsewhere. They they just they have several systems in place from their buck to doe ratio to several other programs that they have just uh how how well they manage their whitetail herd is it's it's an incredible incredible uh proven system and i if you're not putting in for iowa i would just encourage you to and encourage you even public land i'm telling you i've heard from many locals and many people many non-residents who hunt public land and they still have some of the best sits of their life on public land like anywhere else you got to put in the work but um put in for Iowa if you're not, because that state is special. Oh, Iowa is unbelievable. And, you know, just to echo what Jake said, if you're a serious whitetail hunter, I don't care where you live, you need to put in for Iowa. And here's why. First of all, the 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 simple numbers game of drawing a non-resident archery tag for Iowa is going to tell you that you can only hunt there basically twice a decade because it takes four to five years to draw a tag. You've got to build up some points. And then once you draw, you reset to zero. And so then you've got another four or five year wait to do it again. Um, and the good thing about it, though, is it's not that expensive to build the points. Some states, and you know this, Jake, I mean, gee whiz, the, the, the game of, of getting points and everything in different states around the country is crazy. Iowa's pretty reasonable because if you just want to buy a point, I think it's like 55 bucks, and you don't actually have to shell out the 600 bucks for the license until the year that you're going to draw. So even for the, for the working, you know, guy or, or, or girl out there, you can afford that. Put in your 55 bucks for four or five years and then boom, you pretty well know that you're gonna have an opportunity to go to Iowa that next year. And like Jake said, there's enough public land. You don't have to you know, spend $5,000 on an outfitted hunt to go to Iowa to experience that. And you know, I did an article last year actually, uh, I called the best five deer states for the next five years. And the only reason that Iowa didn't make the list is because it is so hard for non-residents to get a tag. You know, I, I, I tried to include states where you'd have a reasonable chance of being able to hunt just about every year or every other year. And that's about the only thing I can say against Iowa, but it's also one of the reasons why it's so awesome. You know, like as a non-resident, I wish I could hunt there more often, but at the same time, the fact that I can't hunt there very often and that you can't hunt there very often is why they have so many big bucks. So. It's a double-edged sword, my friend. That's exactly right, and it is. It's just what makes Iowa, Iowa. It, you know, it is what it is, and uh, what it is is a state with several very mature deer, and some of those very mature deer coincidentally have 
giant racks. So it's a great state regardless. I mean, you're going to see a large amount of deer. And even, even where I was hunting the first time that was wiped out pretty hard with EHG, I say, I say wiped out, but I still saw on a good day, 20 to 30 deer. And I mean, if that's the consequences of EHD, you're still doing pretty good. So it's an incredible state. And I, I was just going to add, and I'm just going to throw this out there because I know, I know your audience because I am your audience and I'm just going to go back to BBD Outfitters. I'm going to tell you right now, they don't sponsor us in any way. They don't offer us any type of discount. I will say those guys have it going on and there's a really cool thing, a program that they have going is you can actually lock in like this year's hunting rate for them. And even if it does take you four to five years to get drawn from now, if you lock in that rate, you'll actually be able to pay this year's rate in four years. If, if that's a, a route you want to take in a place that you're serious about hunting. And I would be, if, if you're going to put in the time and the effort to go hunt Iowa, um, you can always do a lease, but if you're looking for people that have, a very large amount of land and they offer hunts in zones five and six, which makes them very diverse and flexible for many different types of hunters. Um, they've got the food, they've got the food plots, they've got the, uh, incredible stands and blind setups. But what's impressive about them is the access to and from their stands. They take that very serious. And that's why their places are so good is because those deer just don't even hardly know they're being hunted because you can get in and out of there like a ninja without even having those deer having any clue that you were in there. Yeah. That's so a really that's a sh- shameless plug for a company that doesn't give us any type of incentive to hunt with them. And I'm not bashing them. I'm just telling your audience they are legit and I'm going back and I can't wait to take you with me. Well, I second that. And that's a pretty cool program. You know, you were talking about that and I was like, that's just like, uh, the Pennsylvania 529 college savings program that I do for my kids <laughs> where I I lock in uh, today's tuition rates for tomorrow's college, which is kind of cool, but it's not really that near as cool. Ex- it is. So like when I put money in every month, like, you know, like it's 2020. So every month this year, when they take my money, I buy credits and they lock in at like the college rates of today so that even if my kids don't go to school for like five more years, I get like, if I buy a credit today, I get a credit five years from now, no matter how much tuition goes up. But that's not as exciting as paying for tomorrow's Iowa whitetail hunt today for at at tomorrow's prices. You know what I mean? Like I'd I'd rather (laughs) do your, your program. My program just kind of feels boring compared to that. So anyway, (laughs) anyway, that's what it made me think of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited, man. And I had a chance to to talk to those guys. They were at the great American outdoor show and uh, here in Harrisburg. and, And I had a chance to talk to them for about an hour and I got really excited because like you said, you know, I saw their facilities. They bought an old school and turned it into like a sweet hunting lodge. And they have like a pretty sick 3D range, like in the, I assume it was oh. like the, the gymnasium. And there's like a full bar right next to the indoor 3D range. And I was like, heck yes, I want to go do this with Jake. You're exactly right. And that's exactly what it is. That range is an old basketball gym. And they, they did exactly what you just said. If I'm not, I know it's an old, old school, but I think it's an old high school. Regardless, you're exactly right. They, they completely went in and renovated it. The rooms are nicer than most places. You know, I go anywhere, like not even hunting, just lodges, but like the Hilton or whatever hotel you want to compare it to. The rooms are that nice, if not even nicer. Uh, the food was outstanding, but yeah, the, the gym that they have set up into a full blown 3d range, they, and then, and, you know, you can shoot any type of target there you want, whether it's a 3d animal target or a spot, spot to paper target or anything like that. They have, uh, the full blown, yeah, bar and entertainment room with three big screens in it and just some of the nicest and coolest uh, bar furniture you can ask for. It's it's a perfect getaway. 
and it's it's just such a cool lodge. It's got so much character, and it was a. Uh, I was going to tell you earlier. I thought of it. It's Corbin and Caleb Millard, M I L L A R D. But you can look them up at bbdoutfitters.com. But um, yeah, that place is so cool, and, and those guys. They're, I mean, I'm 30 and I, I know they're right around my age. And what's funny is they actually stopped hunting themselves. They have each, they have each killed such big deer and so many of them that their newest passion is getting others their best bucks ever. So, um, that's where, that's where they are currently, uh, putting their focus and they're very good at it. And won't we be just, happy to oblige them this year like if if yeah, make yeah, if, i will if, help them accomplish their purpose and exactly i'll be if, glad to if what makes them happy <laughs> is us shooting big slob iowa bucks then i am going to make it my mission to, to please them that's right yeah that's you and i both right. hey you and i will join forces and just help them accomplish their life mission you're only 30, so I don't know, but were, were you ever a big Seinfeld watcher? Oh, I, I, I historically, no, but I will say my wife is a massive fan of Seinfeld, and she has forced me to sit down and watch it, and that show is brilliant, and I, I am now obsessed with Seinfeld. Well, and for all you kiddies who are listening, which is anyone younger than me who's 46, if you haven't watched Seinfeld, you should go back and get on Netflix or Hulu or wherever those reruns are and watch them. But the reason I bring that up is you talked about combining forces, and I don't know if you ever saw this particular episode, but one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld was when George had this new girlfriend. And as you know, George was never particularly successful with the ladies but he and Jerry figured out that maybe if Jerry came on sort of in a full-time support role and George and Jerry like put both a hundred percent of their time and energy into the relationship <laughs> that maybe with the two of them combined they could be the boyfriend and the man of one normal man and so what I'm thinking is maybe with you and I in Iowa this year, combining forces like that for those guys, maybe between the two of us, we can we can equal the output of like one average bow hunter. You know what I'm saying, brother? Yeah, I do know what you're saying. But my concern is we can't each shoot a 100 inch buck and it combined to be a 200 inch buck. So I'm trying to figure out what success looks like here. Well, we we'll have fun figuring it out, and I I have a feeling I have a feeling we'll be all right. Um, well, listen with that with that setup, man, of our big bow hunt that's coming up this fall. I did not realize because I hadn't had a chance to really you know get to know your background before that you were. I mean, I knew you were a big bow hunter, but I didn't realize that you were like so into archery and had done you know some pretty serious competitive shooting ever since you were like going back to 12 years old or so like you've been you've been hardcore at archery and bow hunting for more than half your life i have i started competing when i was 12 my dad and my uncle took me to my first 3d shoot and i was hooked ever since and by the time i was the, the next year when i was 13 um, I had qualified for the IBO world championship. And at the time it was at snowshoe mountain, West Virginia and got to it's still know, there. go. Yeah, exactly. And that's where it was that year. And I'd been there several years since then, but, um, it's a gorgeous place by the way, my word, but, uh, yeah, I'm obsessed with, I'm just obsessed with archery in general. I was obsessed with competing and I still am, but I found that becoming a husband and a dad and, and just being so, focused in my career and, and my career has moved me from Missouri to Oregon and now to West Point, Mississippi, that it's really tough. It was, it, it has become very tough for me to remain very focused on competing, but I do have a, a pretty um, vast background in competitive archery shot dozens and dozens of IBO uh, tournaments and then dozens and dozens of ASA tournaments from the age of 12 to about the age of 22. Um, and, and I've shot a few since then, but 22 is when I really kind of turned it off. And, uh, 
just had to focus on other parts of my life. But yeah, I mean, I grew up uh, just going to the same shoots as Levi Morgan and uh, just watching him completely dominate. And I've gotten to know him personally through uh, my career now. But yeah, Levi and then several other incredible shooters as well have have made a, a huge impact on me. Chance Boboff, um, other people like that have made a huge impact on me and I've gotten to know them all very, very well. And, uh, I'm just obsessed with that scene. You won't find any better people than the competitive archery circuit. Uh, just incredible people out pursuing their passions and having a good time and, uh, trying to shoot the best shots that they can. So I'm, I'm obsessed with archery and I've always, uh, always had a big passion for it. Well, you know, it's interesting that you immediately brought up the 3D shoots and uh, how much you had participated in that. You know, we just wrapped up our June issue, or sorry, our April-May issue, and we sent that to the press just uh, last week here. And uh, the theme of that June issue is the shooting issue, and it's all about how, you know, now as we head into the springtime, right, you've got, other than turkey season or maybe a bear hunt, if somebody's going up to Canada or something, generally, right, we've got some time on our hands before we get to the big game seasons, you know. And uh, so what are you going to be doing all year? And we talk a lot in that issue, Jake, just about how there's no better practice that you can do than going and shooting, you know, whether it's the 3D course at your local archery club or it's going to a total archery challenge or another mountain shoot like that or even entering, you know, one of these ASA or IBO events because you're really doing two things at the same time, right? You're getting that realistic practice, which is about as close as you're going to get outside of hunting season to simulating these shots at these different animals from different angles, different ranges, different obstacles in the way, different weather conditions, you name it. And then if you put a little competition on top of that, right now you're adding a little bit of pressure. If it's just bragging rights with a buddy, or maybe it's an actual uh, championship, uh, you know, or uh, to, to finish maybe higher than you've ever finished before and you're shooting class, you're adding a little bit of that adrenaline in there. Again, you're going to have to deal with that when you're in Iowa, you know, this fall. So it's just, it's just perfect way to prepare for the season, you know? That's exactly right. It is. That's actually what got me so into 3D tournaments and just competitions was I loved hunting and I was just obsessed with hunting, but obviously there's a season for that. And I use 3D archery shooting just as a medication, if you will, of my withdrawal from hunting. And then that evolved into pursuing the, the competitive side of it more than just shooting at foam targets, which was my initial fix was uh, getting competitive with it and just really competitive with myself and just trying to become a better version of me and a better shooter. Uh, personally so that that's that's where i got into it but uh there's no better way to practice than uh going out and shooting ranges that other people have set up it's good if you set them up yourself but you're going to get used to that really quick but just to look at a new target as it's presented to you in a new setting that you've never stepped foot in before and have to execute that shot and especially like you said christian with a little bit of pressure and a little bit of uh, you know, the buddies around you or whoever, um, you know, watching you, watching you succeed or watching you fail. Uh, <laughs> there's no better form of practice, uh, just to remain focused and executing a good shot than a good 3d tournament with a group, good group of buddies. Now with you uh, having been at this for a, a while and obviously with your interest in competition, I'm sure you like most of the people who are serious about you know, shooting their bows competitively, you, you have to be someone who takes a great interest in equipment and tinkering with your gear. What was your, tell me a little bit about your very first bow or the first one that you can remember, or maybe just a particular bow that you had when you were a kid that maybe might've been a favorite of yours that you still think back on today. And then compare that to like, 
the latest bow that you're shooting right now? It's crazy. My first bow was a Browning Micromidas. I remember it like it was yesterday. And to be honest, I wish I still had it because that bow means so much to me. And I, could, I just remember everything about it. I had custom grip tape on it, which I think was actually yo-yo tape that you'd put around your fingers so the string just wouldn't embed too far into your skin. Or maybe that's what wusses like me used when they did a yo-yo. But anyway... Uh, Browning Micromidas, and I remember how much it meant to me because it was my first bow with uh, fiber optic sights. And then when I when I was an itty bitty kid, even before that, when I got that bow, when I was an itty bitty kid, and my dad was shooting his bow, he had the string suppressors at the time or the string dampeners um, that looked like it, I call them spiders. They just they just had those uh, just those little rubbery threads or whatever coming off of them they just i called them spiders at the time when i was a little kid but that browning micromitis had those types of string suppressors and it had the fiber optic side so uh i was hooked on it since then that's actually the bow that i started competing with and what's funny about my comp- competition background is how bad i was when i started competing and i don't know if anyone out there was probably good when they started other than levi i assume he probably shot his first shot and hit his first bullseye when he came out of the womb is my guess. But other than Levi and chance, um, myself, I was horrible, but, uh, that was the one sport that I just stuck to and really just committed to getting better and better. Cause I was so passionate about it. And, and it, it had a direct impact on my, my ability as a hunter. So I just spent hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks shooting and shooting and uh, dozens of shots turned into hundreds of practice shots turned into thousands of practice shots but that bow meant so much to me and then comparing that to your initial question to what I'm shooting now I mean it's kind of funny because I actually have I have two different bows one's an elite ritual and the other one is a PSE carbon stealth and I have them each set up respectively for very different hunts. Um, my elite ritual is what I use for tree stand. Well, any type of whitetail hunting in general, usually I'm just, I'm stationary. I'm in a stand or a blind or anything like that. And, uh, I just have the weight uh, and like the, the stabilizers and everything like that set up for that type of setup. It's a rel- I have it set up relatively heavy. I like a heavier bow. Um, but when I'm in the mountains and, and ounces make pounds, I'm going to use that PSE carbon stealth just because of the carbon riser and how well that bow still shoots. It's a tack driver, but it is so light and so durable that it's perfect for mountain hunting. Yeah, I, they didn't really have anything like the the carbon bows back in the day, and uh, <laughs> not quite. It, it's come it's come a long way. I, I will tell you that, and uh, you know, it's it's just amazing, really, uh, what uh, what the equipment nowadays does compared to you know what we had, and you know, sometimes you know, as the editor of this magazine, I think about like how high tech our industry has gotten, and I'm like dang it's it's like a wonder anybody ever killed anything back in the day you know and but you're like <laughs> you know what hunting is hunting and and thing about bow hunting is even though you know yes today's bows are awesome and i can go out in the yard and practice at you know 70 or 80 yards or even you know 100 if i go over to the club um Gosh, I still want to shoot all my stuff like at 12 yards if I can, you know, and part of the thrill, a big part of what I love about bow hunting, especially on the whitetails, you know, um, is having them that close and not having them have any idea that I'm in the world, you know, and, and like that is part, that is part of like the big payoff for me is like, you know, even if it's a deer that you're not going to shoot, I mean, how cool is it when you get that doe with her fawns and they just come and mill around underneath of you for 45 minutes or something like that and uh that's right you know they didn't you, you didn't need a great bow to shoot something at 12 yards and you still don't really but uh but they sure are a lot better than they used to be <clears throat> they are they're so much more forgiving um they're overall they're relative they're lighter unless you set them up to be heavier they're much faster 
which plays hand in hand with the forgiveness respectively, just depending on how you look at what, how you define forgiveness. But, um, they're, they're making some incredible bows right now. And they have been for, I mean, goodness, since I was in right late middle school. So, I mean, and, and then especially getting into high school, I just remember when Hoyt launched the cam and a half, but then you had Matthews, um, always making incredible bows with their solo cam technology. But now I feel like all of the companies from Bowtech to PSE to elite to you name it, they are all making incredible bows right now. And, uh, it's really a matter of personal preference at this point, as far as uh, what type of shot you like to shoot and how, what type of feel you're after in your shot. Well, I, I love watching how all the manufacturers just push, push each other, too, because they just keep raising, yeah. you know, you take different aspects of the bow design and bow performance. And, you know, one company does something here and then everybody else kind of catches up and then somebody else does something there. I think about, uh, you know, one, one, one company that I've really appreciated uh, over like the last handful, half a dozen years is Prime. Uh, Prime with that, yeah. par- that parallel cam system they developed just really you know brought a lot to the table in terms of eliminating cam lean and then the last couple years they switched over to this they call it like a synergy riser where they've moved all the the balance point of the bow right to the middle and man it just made such a difference in how well that bow balances at full draw makes that aim so much more steady and other manufacturers you know and it's not, uh, you know, I don't want to give all the credit to Prime and say, no, but listen, a lot of bow companies are doing amazing things. But that's just one example of how, you know, when one company does something well and consumers know it, you know, like savvy bow hunters, hey, if they pick up a bow, even if that's not your usual brand, hey, they're like, that's pretty cool. They're going to tell, you know, if they're if they're a Hoyt guy or a or a Matthews guy or whatever to say, hey, check this out, right? And of course, all the manufacturers are watching each other. And so ultimately, as as things advance or as one company innovates in a particular area, it benefits everybody because you're going to see a lot of those same concepts, even if it's not accomplished exactly the same way, uh, are, are going to make their way through the industry. Another one that comes to my mind this year was actually introduced as a mid-year 2019 on the reckoning but now this year Botech has introduced it into their hunting line is that deadlock cam and i don't know if you've had a chance to fiddle around with that but that completely simplifies the paper tuning process because you can loosen a set screw uh, and then move the location of the cam on the axle so if you have any sideways paper tears you can eliminate that in a heartbeat with that deadlock cam system i mean it's just amazing, you know. Nobody it really dr- dreamed that up before, you know. And uh, no. I love it. You're spot on. I got to shoot that at ATA, that exact bow, and you're you're exactly right. They were breaking it down to me, and uh, I was blown away with, like you said, the tunability of that bow, and just how how quickly you're going to be able to get that thing paper tuned, and just whether you bear shaft or anything really it's it's an amazing technology so let's transition to this right uh so you you grew up uh in missouri and you were obviously from an outdoorsy family you got into archery at a young age I still don't know how to connect the dots of how you became the public relations manager at Mossy Oak. How do you how do you go from a 12-year-old kid with a Browning Micro Midas in Missouri to public relations manager for uh, Mossy Oak? The quick answer to your question, Christian, is a relentless belief in God. Next question. No, I, I'll uh, I'll expand on that, but. I would not be where I'm at if it wasn't for my faith. I can promise you that I surrendered my life to the Lord in March of 2013. And I only say that to give him glory, first of all, but second of all, he aligned my path after that. And what I mean by that is he changed my heart. So I used to be in hunting and and life in general, all for myself. And the Lord taught me the magnitude and serving others. So 
I started volunteering for various events. I started, and it was my goal the entire time. My, as a kid, I wanted to be in this industry. I was completely obsessed with it. So I, I, I competed in archery, as you know, I just, we just talked about that, but I started volunteering for um, various like kind of nonprofit events and things like that. And then I also, um, also got into uh, a, a organization called hope outdoors. And we, my brother and I started the, the Southeast Missouri region of that organization where we were setting up hunts to take, um, just various types of kids facing various types of adversities on hunts. And we grew that from our first event with six kids into what consistently became anywhere from 15 to 20 kids. And I just say all that to say that stuff little did I know started uh, building my resume professionally and I got on several different pro staffs locally. I was on Outtax pro staff and at times while I competed, I was on Hoyt's pro staff and a few other companies too. So some of that stuff started contributing to my resume and then it got to a point to where I wanted to get into the industry and I was doing several other types of jobs, but then I finally got an interview with a marketing agency and the marketing agency was based out of Portland, Oregon. And so I got the interview and the terms and conditions were they'd have a job for me if I would move to Oregon. So uh, my wife knew how much it meant to me to get into the outdoor industry. And so she was all in. So we moved to Oregon in, let's see, probably 2016, I think it was. Did you, and had you, I was out. Did, can I, I just have a question for you. Did you yeah. go to college? What did you study? I went to Southeast Missouri State University. That's in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is two hours south of St. Louis, Missouri, right along. They're both right along the Mississippi River. But Cape Girardeau is uh, the home of Southeast Missouri State University. I did study marketing management. And um, that's what I, uh, yeah, that, that's what I studied. So that does directly play into what I do now for sure. So I, I got got the job in Oregon, and the, so we moved out there. And what I was doing there was public relations for Nikon Sport Optics at the time. Um, I was there for two years and did their public relations uh, or contributed to their marketing and public relations. So lived out there, and then um, through an industry writer, that writer actually referred me to Mossy Oak for a position and, and let not, me know. Not me. Not me. What well, was not Christian Berg. It was not. No. But no, that writer referred me to the opportunity with Mossy Oak and Mossy Oak reached out to me and through a series of interviews, my wife and I decided that um, it was the right move for us personally and professionally. So uh, she's been absolutely amazing in helping me pursue my career. So we moved from Oregon to West Point, Mississippi, the headquarters of Mossy Oak. And here we are. And I've been here almost three years. It'll actually be three years next month. So what's it like to work at Mossy Oak? Probably a lot of people ask you that question. It is a dream come true. It's it's my dream come true because I grew up in a tiny town in Southeast Missouri. The town that I would tell you I'm from just so you could find it on a map is St. Genevieve, Missouri, but the town I'm actually from is in the County of St. Genevieve, but that tiny town is actually Bloomsdale, Missouri population 413 when I left. So it was a, yeah, tiny town. I mean, if you can imagine a town the size of 413 people, you know, go right ahead, tiny town, but the significance of that town is, uh, or one of the significant parts of it is, is actually where Mark and Terry Dury were born and raised. And so I grew up uh, knowing those guys, uh, knowing of them. Well, my dad actually worked for their dad for, I, I think it was um, 13 or 14 years. Of, my dad was a heavy equipment operator and their, their dad uh, was part owner of a construction company with his brother uh, with, with, their dad's brother, which would be their uncle. So Mark and Terry's dad and uncle. So anyway, just to tie all that together, 
I grew up a uh, big, probably, probably one of Jury Outdoors top fans. I would argue I was just obsessed with those guys and uh, have gotten to know them very well personally since, but those two and their team, their entire Jury Outdoors team have taught me so much about deer hunting and so much about hunting big deer. And, uh, actually they taught me much more about, uh, life than just hunting, but, um, I am from that tiny town where they're from. And I just say all that, you know, you asked me what it's like to work at Mossy Oak, but you know, the juries are, it, that ties back to Mossy Oak. Mossy Oak was founded in 1986 and Drury Outdoors started in 1989. So Mossy Oak sponsored the juries and, and Mark Drury actually used to work for Mossy Oak, but growing up in the tiny town, tying this all together that I'm from, um, I grew up drinking the Kool-Aid of Drury Outdoors and Mossy Oak was and always will be a huge part of Drury Outdoors. And that's why um, it's an absolute pleasure and a blessing to work here every day just because I grew up knowing this brand, watching this brand, wearing this brand. And it is who I am as a hunter. It's who I am as a conservationist, as an outdoorsman and as a human. Um, I feel like I fit in here very well with the values in the culture here in West Point, Mississippi, because, um, it's all about, it's all about living your best life outdoors. That's the mission of Mossy Oak. And, and, uh, they embrace, embrace, uh, my role as a dad, as a husband. Um, you know, it, there's just no better company I could be working for. I can promise you that. Well, sounds like you're a local boy made good, my friend. And uh, <laughs> I just lack the accent, but we're, we're, they're working on me for that. <laughs> um, so, so obviously they you say appre- I have an accent. Yes, exactly. Uh, you appreciate the opportunity. So, what's the job responsibilities? What do you do over there all day to make public relations? What's a public relation? That's a great question. When I find that out, I'll let you know. No, my, my title, <laughs> it, is, it is public relations manager. I handle a large amount of our media relations. I handle a lot, which would be any outdoor writers, um, several types of influencers. I, I work with, a, I work, I don't manage all of these relationships, but I work with a lot of our, our TV uh, personalities, the people on our national pro staff. So Anyone from the jury to the Lindsay's um, on down the line, you've got uh, Tim Wells, uh, people like him, Levi on down the line. I work with a lot of those people for various types of projects. I also, I also work with uh, people just like yourself, Christian, as you know, but I work with a lot of outdoor uh, publications and magazines um, working with their publishers to get our print ads placed and things like that. So, uh, always working with those editors and those publishers and those writers to, uh, further advance the Mossy Oak brand. And, uh, yeah, just depends on what day of the week it is and what hole needs dug with which shovel. <laughs> Man, I thought it was all just going on hunts all the time. I didn't realize if you look at my social media, if you look at my social media, that's where that's that would lead you to believe that and uh, and think that. But uh, yeah, that's what my fam. I I always like those memes on on Facebook or Instagram, and I haven't seen many of them lately. But it's like six different pictures, and they're they're described as what my friends think I do, what my family thinks I do, you know, what my coworkers think I do, and then on down the line, and then it's like a picture of what you actually do that picture of what I actually do would probably be me, you know, just like you'd see my cluttered desk with, uh, you know, me, me glued to a computer, just working on who knows what. But, uh, yeah, if you look at my social media reel, you'd think I hunt for a living, but that's not the case. (laughs) Yeah. That's not what I get to do either. We do get to do it sometimes, but not as much as, not as much as we'd like, but I guess hunting is kind of like, 
hunting's like, I guess, making millions of dollars. No matter how many millions you made, I guess you always are worried about the next million. And that's the yeah. way I fe feel about my hunts, you know, is I always say my favorite hunt is the next one. So I don't know if you agree yeah, with me on exactly that. Yeah, that's exactly right. That would describe my, my obsession with uh, turkey hunting and shooting turkeys is as soon as I shoot one, you know, especially with turkeys, it's about, okay, we're we going after the next one. <laughs> Well, listen, man, let's wrap it up with this. Uh, we, I can't believe it's been almost an hour and we haven't gotten to this, but Mossy Oak, uh, you know, you guys have actually got some pretty cool new things going on on the camo side. And I guess as an entree to this, I'll just say uh, this as a bit of perspective, right? If we look out uh, at the camouflage marketplace. Well, first of all, over the last decade, it's just absolutely exploded, hasn't it? I mean, if you want to say that Mossy Oak and Realtree were like Coke and Pepsi, and that's all there was, and now everybody's got their own kind of fancy seltzer or diet whatever or vitamin water or iced tea, and there's literally like 800 million camo patterns out there now when there used to be kind of like two that people really were serious about and uh so the competition i guess in that space has gotten a lot fiercer and and then the other thing just from a design standpoint it seems like digital has kind of gotten to be all the trend and and you know it's like you guys have have uh probably had to do some uh changing adapting uh thinking about how you're going to respond to all this stuff and um some of the recent things that you guys have put out are, are really sharp looking and i'll give you an opportunity to certainly talk to us about that but you know maybe again as a start just kind of give me that thought process like what do you guys discuss inside the walls of mossy oak about all the change that has occurred you know just in the world of camo I, to answer that question, you know, what do we talk about? You know, what, what, what's our, what's our strategy really? And, you know, what are we trying to do as a company to differentiate ourselves? Um, I would say it's really all about what our camo and our, our brand is doing for the outdoorsman and the conservationist. So what I mean by that is we're the official camo pattern of NWTF, DU, QDMA, and actually several more, even on the fishing side and like the CCA and then BASS, MLS and several others. So my whole point with that is, you know, what is your camo doing for you? Cause concealment's one thing and Mossy Oak's proven to conceal since 1986 with the conception of bottomland and, and bottomland is actually still one of our more popular patterns and, uh, you know, you just see it everywhere. But my point oh, is, bo bottomland is bottomland is totally like retro cheek now, right? Like that is oh, made a, a giant it is comeback, a massive comeback. Yeah, exactly. And really, I wouldn't say it ever really went anywhere. Like it never dissolved, but it is making like a roaring comeback right now. It's incredible. So that that's really exciting. But I, I will say it's about Mossy Oak so much more than that. And it's all about, like I said, our conservation partnerships. So my point with those organizations is we have patterns that are directly partnered with those organizations that support those organizations. So some of those patterns are breakup country for QDMA. And then you've got actually several patterns for Ducks Unlimited. All of them support the Ducks Unlimited mission. So those patterns are Shadowgrass Blades, and then our newest waterfowl pattern is Shadowgrass Habitat. And then you've got Bottomland in there as well. And then you've got a new pattern that I'm gonna dive into and a new family of patterns called Elements Terra Bayou. And Elements is the actual pattern, or sorry, Elements is the new series that I'm gonna dive into, but within that family is Elements Terra Bayou for Ducks Unlimited. But then for Going back to our conservation organizations, you've got NWTF and you've got two patterns under there. Those are obsession and bottomland. So whenever you support any of those patterns that I just mentioned, you're actually a portion of that revenue is actually going directly back to those conservation organizations and their respective missions. 
So I say all that to say, make sure the camo on your back has your back. Those are not my words. That's not my mantra. That came from my boss, Ben Mackey, but it's so true. Make sure the camo on your back has your back. Concealment's one thing, but conservation and our lifestyle as hunters and the heritage that we get to celebrate every year is actually under a major attack right now. So it, when you support our patterns, you're supporting the organizations that are out there fighting for us and fighting for our natural resources, which is the wildlife and the, ha- and the habitat that they call home. So that is a big, big mission of ours right now. It's just conservation. Toxies has always been, his mission has always been around conservation. He always tells the story or people actually tell it about him. Um, it's his first donation he ever made to QDMA. He actually had, the, he, he borrowed the money at the time just because he believed in QDMA so much and he actually borrowed the money to make that donation. And that just tells you how much his heart was into it. Um, you know, and, uh, that's just incredible to work for someone like that. But, uh, that's, that's just a big mission that we're going, we're focusing on right now, making sure the camo on your back has your back. Beyond that, yeah, we talked about elements and elements is actually just a series of patterns that we refer to as the the fusion of nature and technology. And we always say it's it's still inspired by nature and, and not not inspired by or designed by computers, which is actually what we're usually going outdoors to avoid and, and to just get back into nature. So it's all still inspired by nature. But what we refer to them as is an abstract pattern. So there's no sticks or leaves, if you will. It's just a fusion of the elements of nature that comprise together to form several different patterns under the elements family, which would be elements Terra. And even elements Terra has actually several variations, one of which is elements Terra Gila. And then you've got elements Tundra. You've got elements uh, Habitat or um, what is, sorry, I'm drawing blank right now. No, that's fine. But uh, like you were, like yeah, you were but, saying, you know, the, the, the whole point is uh, you guys have anything that, you know, you could need yeah, from, from the, the real traditional bottom land, you know, some of those original, you know, breakup patterns that you've had to these new elements patterns and, there's really not any kind of hunting and even fishing now, which we don't have time to get into, but you guys are doing no. fishing, fishing <laughs> camo now. There's nothing you can do in the outdoors that Mossy Oak can't outfit outfit you for. And you're supporting not just your business, right? Your employees, you're supporting our whole way of life with what you guys are doing. And I will tell you two things to kind of wrap it up, Jake. Okay. One, I do have to give a shout out because it's just the end of winter here. Everyone's ready for spring. You've, you've mentioned a couple times in this episode, how much you're looking forward to turkey season. I will say this for my money, there is no better springtime camouflage pattern than Mossy Oak Obsession. I am absolutely a huge, huge, huge fan of Obsession. And actually, I've got some new NWTF stuff from Nomad headed my way for this spring. So I'm looking forward to getting some fresh uh apparel with that obsession pattern uh just absolutely nothing better for those green springtime woods and then secondly as i just look around my office as we're wrapping this up you know i've got some pictures of of some special moments in the field you know over the course of of my life and uh, i just did a quick survey and and with only a couple of exceptions, you know, I see mossy oak camouflage patterns on all these photos. And it's like, man, that's kind of tying right into what you're talking about. Like, this is a part of not just what we do. It's it's like who we are. And it's a no, no pun intended, but it becomes sort of part of the fabric of our lives, you know. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, that we always say here is. Uh, slogan found or coined several years ago, but it's not a passion. It's an obsession. You know, it's some people here always say too, like we didn't pick hunting, hunting picked us and, and now fishing too. I mean, we've always been anglers, but like you alluded to, 
fishing is a huge part of what we're doing now. I actually leave for the Bassmaster Classic on Friday, and uh, I can't wait to get there. But we're outdoorsmen, man. We're living our best lives outdoors, and it's an absolute, absolute pleasure. That's for sure. Well, Jake, I really appreciate your time. It was a good conversation. I was glad to uh, – I learned a bunch of new stuff about you, and uh, I am looking forward to – you know that that hunt in in Iowa, it's going to be here before you know it. And I don't know. Yeah, we ought to know. we ought to come up with some kind of a something to some kind of a friendly wager about something that happens in that camp. So I'm going to be in thought about that, and we'll bounce some uh, texts back and forth and see if we can't get some kind of a something to, to 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 that we can have some fun with here on this hunt but uh wish you all the best good luck at the Bassmaster classic man keep that face mask on at all times i do not want to see you <laughs> in, infected with the coronavirus i had an n95 face mask dipped in, dipped in bottom land so everyone i can still represent but also remain safe but hopefully this episode christian can be part one of two and part two will be in Iowa when we can update your listeners on uh, this wager that we come up with and who, who comes out on top with that. But I really appreciate you having me on, on here. And uh, on behalf of Mossy Oak and myself, thank you very much for having us on here. And thank you very much for um, all the years of success that Mossy Oak's had with you. Well, thanks again. Yep, really appreciate it. And we will for sure have you back on one way or the other. We are either going to get on here again and we are going to recount tales of epic glory, which will never be forgotten, or we will cry and recount the woe that we can possibly you know try to use this as some sort of catharsis you know to drown our sorrows away so one way or another folks are going to hear about it you can count on that my friend thank you christian i look very forward to it thank you for listening to peterson's bow hunting radio the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters pick up the latest issue of peterson's bow hunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com 